0: We all seem to hate meetings, but yet we keep scheduling them. You know those 30 or 60 minute blocks of time that seem to chew up your day? They can be really frustrating. But at the same time, those meetings can make a valuable impact on your work. So today we're asking the question, when do meetings do more harm than good? Welcome to Work Better, a Steelcase podcast where we think about work and ways to make it better. I'm your host, Chris Congdon, and I'm with our producer, Rebecca Cherbowski. Hi, Chris. Hi, Rebecca. Will you tell everyone about our guest today?
1: Of course. Benjamin Laker is a professor of leadership at Henley Business School. He studies the impact leaders make on society. He's the author of a couple of books, including Too Proud to Lead and Closing the Service Gap, And we wanted to talk to Benjamin about his research on meetings, because we all have a lot of them. And we also wanted
0: to get his ideas about reframing the way that we use the workplace today. Yeah, and he's also studied the four-day work week. So we got a chance to ask him if he thinks that's where we're heading in the future of work. If you enjoy this conversation with Benjamin,
1: we'd really love it if you would rate it and review it. That helps other people find it.
0: Yes, please. Benjamin joins us today from the UK. Thank you for joining us at Work Better today, Benjamin. Thanks for having me. Benjamin, so much of your work is focused on leadership. And when I've looked at the work that you've done, it feels like the underlying issue really is kind of grounded in employee well-being and inclusion and topics like work-life balance. Is that a fair assessment of what's been a big motivator for you?
2: Yes, I believe it is. And I've heard people coin it as a, a study on the workplace or indeed the future of the workplace. And uh, believe me, it never started out as, uh, as as clean cut as that. I just started to involve myself in research studies that I found particularly interesting.
0: And you've spent a lot of time thinking about how people are spending their time at work, in particular around meetings. And when I was uh, doing a little background research, I started thinking about years ago when I was going through a leadership training program and I was shown a film that starred John Cleese that was called Meetings, Bloody Meetings. And I actually went and looked it up because it was old when I saw it. And the film was made in the 70s. And so Like people have been complaining about meetings for a really long time. I'm sure they were complaining before his film ever came out. And so I'm just curious, what is it that's different now about meetings that caused you to want to study
2: them or to understand them more deeply? Well, I didn't realise how much I personally dislike meetings until the pandemic. <laughs> okay. And I know that's a terrible admission uh, for a researcher because it would definitely suggest bias, but it's true. And I, I don't mind to admit that. Uh, for me, I think the pandemic was a escalation of a number of things, and specifically in relation to meetings, What I felt and what I personally experienced was an increase, an acceleration, a littering of the calendar with activities that may have had the title of a meeting, because Mm -hmm. typically if you're using uh, Outlook or other type of devices, these things will be classified as a meeting. But once within, it's becoming increasingly apparent, this is not a meeting. This is uh, something for a different purpose, and typically the, the beneficiary of that meeting is the person who's organised it. So I started to think, I'm stuck inside an engagement that doesn't really have purpose. And I think what happened was the huge shift into remote work suddenly exposed the situation for what it was, and naturally it exacerbated the situation. This then led me to start asking some deeper questions, which was, well, if there is an increase of the volume of meetings, what's causing this? And I started to theorise that this might be a psychological response from people, because for many, inadvertently and subconsciously, they didn't realise how much they relied on connection, human face-to-face connection. Right. That cannot be easily replicated with technology. And so what started to happen, certainly in my world that I saw and felt, was persons who seemingly struggled with this were the ones who were creating more meetings for everybody else, because they were using it as a way to fill the void.
0: But there are times, like there's a lot of work that people do that I don't know whether it counts as a meeting so I'd love to hear your perspective on what you think a a meeting per se is but there's a lot of times that we work together with colleagues that again I might be you know sitting in the office and somebody will come up to me and we'll have a chat about something we're working on it could end up turning into a half an hour you know sometimes and, you know, that, but that's a form of collaboration and a form of co-creation that our work requires us to do. So I'm just, I want to understand more deeply, like how you think differently about what is a meeting and what's not.
2: So if you start with the purpose, people understand why they are in the room and they understand why other colleagues have been invited into that room. So they understand the contribution that themselves and others can make. There's nothing worse than being invited to a meeting that a you don't know why you are here or b and or you don't know why someone else is here you don't know what the mm-hmm. contribution is for these persons so it has to have a purpose the second thing that we learned was it has to have a minimum and a maximum number of persons mm. now there's no hard and fast rule for everybody because organizations are different but my personal preference is a maximum of six, ideally. Now, Mm -hmm. if you have boards, then clearly there's a regulatory reason why you have increased that number and that will therefore be customised and personalised to an organisation. But typically, an organisation has to make a choice. How many people do we want the maximum to be within meetings held within our organisation? So there is then wide consensus and a discussion had around meetings. Someone said to me recently, oh, but what about a town hall when our chief exec mm-hmm. speaks to everybody? Yes. And my response then was, are you freely able to talk during that event? Or if you are on uh, in person, you don't have a microphone. And if you are on Zoom or equivalent, are you muted? Do you have the option of unmuting yourself at any point and speaking? And more often not, the response is, no, I, I can't do that. So, okay, can you chat anything in the chat or is that also restricted? You say, well, yes, it's somewhat restricted. So it's like, yeah, it's not a meeting. <laughs> that's a that's a communication gathering exercise. Right. That's a town hall. That's not a meeting.
0: So you said earlier that some organizations are trying to eliminate meetings altogether. You know, I certainly hear a lot of conversation about trying to reduce the number of meetings and to try and allow people to have more time where they can do their focused work within their workday. But,
2: you know, can we just eliminate meetings? Is that possible? Did you find that? So some organizations have. And within our research, we studied organizations who had reduced number of meetings across various parameters, some more than others. So I believe there's an organization called No Soul Publishing who have eradicated meetings entirely. We studied To various degrees, organisations that have taken out 20%, maybe 40%, 60%, 80%, and 100%. So we've looked at them all. And for us, the most interesting thing was that to a certain point, there is a law of diminishing returns. So yes, we all benefit if we have fewer meetings, but that's not a hard and fast rule for all meetings, because what we found typically is if you eradicate them entirely entirely, There's a danger that you can eradicate too much connectivity, which Mm -hmm. we know is true because if you remember back to the pandemic and as we discussed earlier, people have a need for connection. And so I don't think it's possible, nor do I think it is worthy to destroy all meetings. But I think what you find is if you have blocks of time during a week where we have either days or mornings or afternoons, depending on how you structure it of what i would call no meeting days because i think it works better if you have a full day but some persons have asked me well does it have to be a day or can it be equivalent to an a number of hours i think that's fine i think the, the, the point being is it's a fight back against being on call continuously 24 7. definitely if you have at least two days a week during which time you do not have to be involved with a a meeting as we know it to be productivity increases well-being increases satisfaction increases the impact is is huge
0: isn't that about people feeling a sense of control over their days and feeling like some agency in their work is that what's going on there you think why people are pushing back
2: yes i think it is exactly that and it was interesting i had a conversation yesterday on this same subject for why people are seemingly wanting a four-day work week and I think deep down I can't speak for everybody but my theory is people don't want a four-day work week per se what it is a cry for is more agency and autonomy over their life Mm. and I think this is where the four-day work week at an abstract level is interesting but actually I think giving people more power and autonomy to have flexibility over their work, such as when and where to work from and when and where to to meet people and engage and collaborate. I think that's a far better solution than mandating people. Now you have to work four days a week, but nothing's going to be different. You're going to have no agency, no autonomy Mm -hmm. over your working week. The only difference is you now have an extra day off.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about this four day work week thing, because there's been momentum in terms of the conversations. Um, you've done some research on this, as well as other organizations have been looking into it. So what is the driving force for organizations who are starting to explore that? Because it, it's a pretty radical shift for most organizations.
2: I think where the five-day work week was set up a long time ago, really for the beneficiary of manufacturing purposes and using human labor within a a factory setting and thinking about human labor really as a a machine to produce as opposed to a creative mind to produce and to add value and to seek purpose and to have meaning. Well, if we're questioning much at the moment as we are a society, why not also question the very mechanics of what it means to work? Because is it wrong that I can still produce the same quality output, but don't conform to the standardized nine till five or nine till six, Monday to Friday. If I can produce the same output and actually work one hour on a Monday, but choose to work on my weekend, who is to say that I can't do that? Because if the output is the same, then what that then raises is a question around, from an employer's perspective, the employer is looking to retain control, not just over the output that a worker produces, but also how they spend their time.
0: So I want to poke at a couple of the things that you said there. And the first one I'm going to poke at is just the factory reference, because one of the things I worry about with conversations about a four-day work week is equity. And because the nature of my work is such that I could, in theory, work from anywhere and do, you know, four days a week. But yet my colleagues who are making the products that our organization makes, they can't do that. You know, there are production schedules to meet and they have to be at work because the work happens in a physical place where they create a physical thing. And the same is true for healthcare or you know all kinds of organizations. So how do organizations that are exploring this four-day schedule think about equity between different parts of the organization? Like, why is it fair that I can work four days a week if my colleagues in a plant
2: cannot? Well, I think this is the fatal flaw in the theory. Mm-hmm. And in 2019, I wrote in Harvard Business Review whether Europe would seemingly uptake this idea en masse. And we were not able to say yes. Now, what I think you will find is pockets will, and not just within the within Europe, but pockets across the world will. But unfortunately, for the very reasons that you've articulated here, some people will benefit from this, and I think others will not. And I think the hard truth will be the people on the whole that already benefit from the revolutionized world of work, for example, those who can choose where they work from, and they can use collaboration tools to do their work. And they already have the freedom and the flexibility to structure their working hours, because they are not physically at a machinery plant, or they're not caring in the community or they're not teaching children or they're not driving buses or they're not sweeping streets those people are already benefiting from uh, the revolutionary working world and so they're already one up with then a four-day work week which if they are to be paid the same they would benefit again and so you would therefore see a bigger divide between the world of work And I think, therefore, that should raise questions around equity. Hmm.
0: That's interesting. So the other thing I wanted to kind of poke at is the idea of people working, you know, asynchronously. So, you know, maybe part of my autonomy means I'm not working during hours that the rest of the organization is, but I choose to do these other hours on the weekend or whenever. And... It seems to me like that works fine if you're doing individual work exclusively, so my work doesn't require the collaboration or interaction with other people. But what happens in a different situation where we need to be able to access each other to share information, to share ideas, but you've chosen that you're not going to work during the same hours that I'm working, and so you're no longer available to me? How do you navigate that as a leader?
2: I really do think that organizations must make a decision and a ruling on this, and it would have to be quite a senior ruling. Otherwise, you will have departments doing their own thing. And I think we are approaching certainly mandated office time, or if it's not an office, uh, a hub. If you think about hub and spoke model where this is the hub, these are the hours these are the days of the week in which you are present it's a little bit like um like a, a gp or a, a doctor these are my office hours these are the hours in which i will be on the site right and then it's a blended approach so we know that face-to-face happens but we also know that online can occur and i know it's going to be different the mix for everybody but speaking personally I find it great to come together to collaborate with people and then to go away and do the work and then bring it back.
0: Yeah, which I think is an important point because we know that this feeling that working from home is a right is something that varies pretty dramatically around the world, as you mentioned, of course, in the UK, and it's very strongly uh, accepted in the US as well. Other parts of the world, you know, people are are working in the office a lot more often and and actually even more than what their leaders necessarily expect. So I think it you're right that it is going to be very tricky based on, you know, what country you're in, the culture of your organization. There's a lot of variables to navigate. So in thinking about that, like I'm just, I'm interested in your perspective about, the office, you know, in whatever way that manifests itself. Like you were just talking about this need to come together. And I was wondering if you could just talk from your research and experience, like what are some of the things that we should be thinking about differently for those of us who are involved in thinking about workplaces?
2: Well, I studied a couple of years ago, this idea of hub and spoke and thinking what was the optimum model to have And of course, like many of these ideas, you go in naively thinking you're going to find exactly a a really simple answer. And it's never quite simple. But what that revealed to me was the hub or hubs are vital. And similarly to when we were talking about meetings, reminding people that it's not meetings that are bad. It's poor hygiene around them. Mm -hmm. A meeting can be fantastic. And believe you me, I would rather my performance management be in a meeting than on Slack where people are just piling in. And I think the same thing needs to be said about the office. You have to remind people, this is the beauty, this is the value. This is why we are coming together. There's things that can be undertaken here that you cannot recreate at home. Even with the best asynchronous tools, there is a huge value And as with the pandemic, it becomes increasingly apparent to people. It could be an emotional thing. That's the rationale. It's about explaining to people, doing work isn't just what you produce. It's about how you get there. And we are people, and therefore the fuel inside you, you will run empty if you work on your own, on the whole. Mm -hmm. If you are not accessing... People, If you're not accessing the hub, you will run dry, you will run empty. So think of this as a fuel, like a gas station or a, or a petrol station, so to speak, you're coming in to refuel, to revitalize, to build up your energy source, so that then you can go and for some people that will be Huddling at home, other people it would be huddling on Skype, other people it might be staying in the office because that's where they get their energy source from. Mm -hmm. And then we bring people back again. And I think if you reframe the office as the energy source, the lifeblood for our organizations, and therefore positioning people at home as working in satellites, and to almost use that language where yes, you're out there far out in the world, but you're on your own you have to come back in to be updated, to refuel, Mm -hmm. to be Mm -hmm. revitalized, to be re-energized, to think about the next mission, to use the space analogy. Then I think suddenly it becomes increasingly clearer to people that it's quite a binary process. It's not just one or the other, it's both. It's I need to do both because both have value.
0: I love the idea of the workplace becoming an energy source. I, I think that's a great analogy and maybe a way that people haven't thought about it before. Maybe they've thought about the office as draining, just like maybe they've thought about meetings as being draining. But maybe they can be rethought in a way that an a good meeting and a good day at the office could be a source of energy so before I let you go, there's one question that we've been asking all of our guests this season because we're we're very focused on people and organizations who are making an impact in the world and thinking about how people can re-energize at work is, is an important part of that conversation. I, I would love it if you could tell me a story about something you or someone you know, so, an organization that you've worked with how they have had a positive impact on people or the planet in
2: recent years. Well, for me, as the researcher, I think organizations, and I've seen a couple, who were very willing to bite the bullet on some of the things we've talked about. So the No Soul Publishing, which we've mentioned, the company that eradicated all meetings, from my understanding, actually then went on to, to think about, well, we do need some meetings because it's for the interest of our people. And what they did was then bring in some rulings where we talked about a couple. So this is our manifest with inside a company. This is what we mean by meetings. This is how we're going to run them. So some rules, they said, if you want a meeting, it has to be arranged within uh, 24 hours from now. So you can't have it on the same day. Has to have, I think, between two and six people. you have to have an agenda, you have to have a purpose, it has to have a, a, a specific time. Mm-hmm. has to have an outcome, has to have a minute taker, has to be reviewed. And what you're seeing now, I think with Shopify and other uh, apps, is you can then see the cost of what that will cost. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's then the justification. So why are we doing this? And for me, then, to extrapolate, I think, that question, why are we doing this the way that we are? Not just meetings, but if an organisation is considering the four-day work week, that's the question to ask. Well, well, why? Not just because it's a fad, not just because people have asked it, but truly, why? Why are we implementing this? When actually, could we get the same effect or even a, a greater rapport from people if we were willing to offer them autonomy and mastery and purpose over their work week? Well,
0: I would think that uh, any organization that is seriously thinking about ways for meetings to be better and for people's work experience to be better is having a positive impact on people. So thank you for that story. And thank you for joining me today, Benjamin. It's been a really interesting conversation. Oh, thank you. Is your workplace ready for the new ways people are working today? steelcase has all of its latest solutions to help you refresh your office in one place steelcase.com slash wb explore new ways to collaborate anywhere anytime and see better ways to focus and block out distractions that's at steelcase.com slash wb new thank you for being here with us today rebecca can you tell our audience who our guest is next week
1: next week we're talking to moira fischbacher smith She's vice-principal at the University of Glasgow, which is such an interesting university. It's the fourth Mm -hmm. oldest university in the English-speaking world. Think uh, Hogwarts-like. Yet it's incredibly forward-thinking, and we talked to Moira about their very intentional strategy to create more inclusive learning environments. She shares how they're doing it and how it's making an impact.
0: And whether you're in the education field or not, there's really a lot to take away from our conversation with Moira. Mm-hmm. And if you enjoyed this conversation today, please share the podcast with a friend or colleague and visit us at steelcase.com research to sign up for weekly updates on workplace research insights and design ideas delivered to your inbox. Thanks again for being here. And we hope your day at work tomorrow is just a little bit better. Many thanks to everyone who helps make Work Better Podcasts possible. Creative Art Direction is by Erin Ellison. Editing and Sound Mixing by Soundpost Studios. Technical Support by Mark Caswell and Jose Jimenez. And Digital Publishing by Aurelie Ariano and Jordan Marks.